Welcome back, I'm Brian, and today we're going to start unpacking the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, usually just called the Book of Matthew. Today will just be a short introduction. This study is going to be the first book that we go chapter by chapter through, which is kind of exciting and maybe a little bit daunting. The goal is going to be completing one or two chapters a week. We'll see how the pace goes. If we have to change our groove, maybe we can be nimble like that and switch it up. But for now, we'll plan for two podcasts a week and try to cover one chapter per podcast. I decided on this format because I am encouraging you to read along with me, and I think one chapter every three to four days is doable. Some of the chapters in Matthew are a little longer, so give yourself about 10 to 15 minutes twice a week and you'll be able to keep up. I really wanted my first chapter by chapter series to be a gospel account. I wanted to lay the foundation before jumping into some of the other books on my list specifically the 12 Minor Prophets, and then a massive Isaiah Bible Studies series. There are four different Gospel accounts located at the beginning of the New Testament. There are four books centered around the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They all cover the same major events and themes, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, was fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and was resurrected to be seated at the right hand of the Father until he comes again. Their goal is not to be biographies about Jesus only, though they do have historical facts about the historical Jesus. Instead, they are primarily designed to tell us who Jesus is, what he accomplished, and how faith in Jesus is the only path to salvation. None of the four contradict each other in that message, but each was written with a slightly different lens. I might butcher this metaphor, but on my phone, I can take a picture, right? I can take a picture with the regular camera, or in a square picture mode, or in a portrait mode, and then I can enhance the colors of the picture to highlight certain aspects. It is the same picture, representing the same truth. I've just highlighted different characteristics of that picture. To some extent, the gospel accounts do this. They do the same thing. They highlight specific characteristics about Jesus. They do it for various reasons different intended audiences, different cultural focuses, highlighting different Old Testament passages, and they are written with different literary styles. Some people complain about this. Why would God use four different divinely inspired authors to write four separate gospel accounts? Why not just one? I think God knows us. And if he used one author to write one giant comprehensive book, we'd complain about that too. I mean, it would be long. John writes at the end of his gospel account that there are also many other things which Jesus did. If they would all be written, I suppose that even the world itself wouldn't have room for the books that would be written. We couldn't possibly comprehend all of the works and characteristics of Jesus on this side of eternity. So God has provided four accounts that highlight characteristics he wants us to see. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are similar in structure. And because they are similar, they get lumped together sometimes and are called the synoptic gospels, which is just a fancy word meaning that they have like structures and summaries. John's gospel is the most unique of the four, but all of them talk about who Jesus is and what he came to do. They only cover a small percentage of Jesus's life. He was around 30 when he was crucified, and God only reveals to us the last few years of his life. Of those few years, a lot of the gospel writings focus specifically on the last week of his life. The week he entered Jerusalem, was arrested, tried, and then put to death. This last week of Jesus' life is called the Passion Week. 
Danny Aiken notes that the Gospels are really passion narratives with extended introductions. The focus of all four Gospel accounts is on what Jesus accomplished on the cross to get the reader to take a step back and process who Jesus is, the author of our salvation, the only way to a right relationship with God. really see these different themes come out when you look at the vocabulary used in each of the books. I love word studies, diving into the Hebrew or Greek root behind specific words to get a fuller meaning of a verse, but I also love looking at how many times a specific word or phrase appears in a book. I am a nerd for word counts. I know the number of times a specific word shows up doesn't magically give you the theme of the book, but I think it can clue us into things the biblical author wants us to take notice of. I firmly believe the vocabulary used sets the tone of the book, much like the musical score helps set the tone for a movie. It also helps us identify repetitions, which God usually uses to underline a certain message or characteristic. I'll try to post all of this in the blog because visual aids are helpful, but I've done some counts on words or phrases found in the four Gospels combined, and also on how often each word is found in each individual Gospel account. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through them all right now, but I will highlight a few. If you're trying to double check my counts in one particular translation, then I recommend you check out my blog posts. I use an average taken from six different translations, and then I adjust for different translations of the same Greek root words. Again, if you check out the blog posts, I am also going to post the number of times per translation and a little family feud style word count game. You know, for those game nights, you really need to get your geek on. See, and y'all think I exaggerate my nerdiness. Anyhow, when you look at the percentages, the counts tell the tale of the themes. The Gospel of John, which focuses on the divinity of Jesus, is the most likely gospel account to use phrases like eternal life, believe, and glory. The Gospel of Luke, who is writing his friend Theophilus to tell him about who Jesus is, and what Jesus accomplished has the highest percentages for phrases like Savior and Salvation and the Kingdom of God. Mark, who I'll jokingly term the Michael Bay of the Gospel writers, writes the shortest, most condensed, and action-packed Gospel account, and the percentages show his book is way more likely to use words like immediately, right away, just then, suddenly, or at once, as he weaves his way through cutscene after cutscene. Matthew, on the other hand, most frequently points toward Jesus as being the Jewish Messiah and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He has the highest percentage of words like fulfilled and righteousness. They all tell the same story, but the language helps to highlight the structure and characteristics each author was divinely inspired to present. Knowing words like fulfilled and righteousness are most often used in the book of Matthew means that whenever we come across one of those words during our study, we should probably pause and reflect on what Matthew is really underlining. Jesus, the Messiah, who fulfills the Old Testament promises. I chose the book of Matthew for a few reasons. It's the first book of the New Testament, which makes it a good starting point. Because it's long, I feel like it's usually not covered as a whole. You might hear tidbits covered in sermon series and stuff, but most people don't study through the entire book. 
it also fits with my goal of covering harder books. Matthew writes his gospel account of Jesus in a way that almost assumes you have memorized the entire Old Testament. It's full of quotes and cross-references, and he assumes we know something about first-century Jewish traditions. This makes it hard to grasp all the McNuggets he throws out there. We get the challenge of trying to learn the Old Testament more while also putting ourselves in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. One of the goals of this podcast is to empower people to read the Bible on their own. So before we dive into the next episode, I want to give four pointers on how to better tackle the book of Matthew. Number one, look for transitions between historical narratives of Jesus and sections dedicated to the teachings of Jesus. You can look at Matthew as having both a narrative of Jesus' life and a collection of his teachings. So as you read through the storyline, take notice of the large teaching sections that Matthew has assembled. There are about five of them in the book of Matthew. Each teaching section ends with the summary statements when Jesus had finished. I'm going to make sure we take notice when we transition between each type of literature. It'll help us highlight what Jesus is doing and also what Jesus is saying. Number two, look for a focus on the kingdom, sometimes referred to by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's actually mostly referred to as the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew. Things to watch here include Jesus as the person who ushers in God's kingdom, what God's kingdom looks like, and what the characteristics of those who are part of that kingdom look like as well. Number three, look for how different groups of people respond differently to Jesus. The religious elite, the crowds, and the small group of hand-picked disciples respond to Jesus very differently, not unlike how different groups respond to Jesus today. There are the religious elite who reject Jesus outright These are the Pharisees, Sadducees, and prideful rulers whose hearts are hardened against Jesus. This group is in almost constant conflict with Jesus, so try to feel the tension around some of these moments as you read through. They are convinced Jesus isn't who he says he is, and that their way of doing things is the right way. There are the masses of people who are intrigued by Jesus and casually follow him. I jokingly call them his Instagram followers. They might follow him and tune into what he does, maybe they like or share something, tune into his story, but in the end, this group is only interested in Jesus for what he can give them. They want him to entertain them, to give them what they really want, and a lot of them want him to topple the Roman leaders in Jerusalem. The last group are those called by Jesus to follow him intimately, his small group of disciples. David Platt says that they are the people who follow Jesus, learn from him, and eventually lose their lives for him. Keep an eye on how each group reacts to different events. Number four, look for the new community of God's people. There is a call throughout this book to form a new community, a new family, a family centered not around blood and family heritage, but around dedicating our lives to Jesus, being a community of his disciples. Unlike some of the religious elite who cling to their tradition, Jesus calls this group to grow and expand and to make new disciples. Jesus challenges his disciples to be a light on a hill, to proclaim everywhere they go that the kingdom is at hand, to bear good fruit, and to go and make disciples of people from all the nations. In the book of Matthew, we see Jesus call the Christian community to be unique and stand apart from the rest of the world while still engaging with the world. 
So those are some of the four pointers. Look for transitions, look for a focus on the kingdom, look for how different groups react to Jesus, and look for what the new community of God's people is called to be. Matthew's Gospel also begins and ends with the proclamation that God is with his people. In the first chapter, we are introduced to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And in the last chapter, we hear Jesus tell his followers, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the book of Matthew, God calls us to follow Jesus, to be part of a new community, and to spread the gospel to others. But we're not meant to do it alone. God announces that he will walk alongside us in our journey, that his spirit will dwell in us through our trials, and that one day we will be made a new creation through him. It begs Christians to meditate on that truth, remembering that God was made man to suffer for us and is now with us in our sufferings. If you're not sure who this Jesus fellow is, or not sure if you're a Christian, or even what it means to be a Christian, I hope you would walk alongside us in our journey through the book of Matthew. And I pray God's, God helps us all see more clearly through this study. On our Facebook page, we will post a reading plan at the beginning of each week, just kind of what chapters we're going to be talking about over the two podcasts that week. I hope that you will read along with us. If you're interested in listening to some of our previous podcasts, please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Budsprout, and other podcast providers. We also have a blog and YouTube channel, which, can, which you can link to from our Facebook group. We love our followers and want to engage with y'all, but also want to remind you that I'm not a pastor and don't intend for my resources to take the place of a local church. So I encourage all my listeners to get connected with a local church body and to start or join a small community Bible study. Nowadays, you can join via Zoom. Feel free to use our resources to help with those groups if you want, but face-to-face -face interactions are the only path to a true biblical community. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture quotes are from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Until next time, I love y'all.